I am excited to be here to see all your shining faces this morning. God is good, right? Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap. Come on, I ain't say clap for me, clap for the Lord, right? And so this morning, just a little bit, I want to start out with a base verse. Uh, before we get started, I should tell you that I'll be coming out of the King James Version. And our base verse this morning, it's actually going to be coming from 2 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse number 5. I want to extend a large thank you to everyone that's here for helping us with socks and things of that nature for the kids at the juvenile center. I want to thank Brother Ron Smith, that's part of this church, and all the work that he does and him coming down to the jail. Thank Pastor Rob for the invite, uh, for inviting me out. Because how many of y'all know we all on the same team? We are all on the same team. And so if you would, real quick, if you would stand to your feet, I want to read 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 5. And I believe this verse is, is very important for each and every person that's here today. And the verse reads as such. It says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves, knowing ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. You may have your seats. And so, this morning, before we ever get started with the message, I want to use that as a starting point. Because this word examine, it doesn't matter who you are in the room, who you are in the building. You don't have to look to your left or your right, your front or your back. I want you to think about you, and I want you to do what the Bible says, and I want you to examine yourself whether you are really in the faith or not. Now, the Bible, when it uses this word examine, if you look that word examine up in a Greek, I want to tell you real briefly what this means. This word examine is simply by definition means to put oneself on trial. Think about that. If you go to a court setting today and, and they was going through a court proceeding, they would put different witnesses up there and they would say, well, what time of the day did this happen? What color of the car? Was, was the windows tinted or not? They would scrutinize every evidence about that case. So what I'm saying this morning is all of us collectively as followers of Christ, let's put ourselves on trial and weigh the evidence whether we are really in the faith or not. Really in the faith. This morning, the title of my message is a relationship that matters. A relationship that matters. How many people in this room knows right now you'll never be in any more important of a relationship than the one you come to have with Jesus Christ? I'm talking about a relationship that matters. However, if you are in a relationship that matters to you, this relationship is going to have certain attributes. And so this morning we'll be looking into Peter a little bit and looking into Peter's life. And while we're looking into this, we're going to be examining ourselves at the same time. Do you agree? Sometimes it is hard in life to take a real honest look at self. 
Sometimes it is easy to make excuses for self. Sometimes it is easy to lie to self. And notice this, when I lie to me, I'm easy to believe it because I trust me and I'm the one that told it to me. But we got to examine ourselves for real because this is, this is very important and detrimental to our spiritual health. When we talk about Peter this morning, we're going to be coming out of the book of Luke chapter number 22. We're going to be uh, focusing on verses 31 through 34. But the whole time we're doing this, I still want you to be examining yourself. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in the fact that, you know what, I go to church on Sundays, I go to church on Wednesdays, you know, I do this mission, that mission, I feed the homeless, and you know what, we can let all of that stuff really become my agenda and not Christ's agenda. It'll become a bunch of good deeds, but it ain't Christ-centered. It is just me trying to do good things. How many of you know that in a relationship that matters, the Bible says that Christ has to have the preeminence. Preeminence is nothing but a big word that the Bible uses for first place. And so in Luke chapter number 22, when we begin to deal with Peter, I want you to understand that we're dealing with, this is, this is walking on water, Peter, right here. This is one of the first disciples that Jesus called Peter right here. This is, this is the, the, the same Peter that told Jesus in John chapter number 6 when he said, do you want to go with the disciples that left as well? And Peter told Jesus, to whom else are we going to go? This is that same Peter. This is the same Peter that cut the soldier's ear off, Peter. And the reason I want you to, to, to examine yourself and I examine myself is because, notice this, if Peter is subject to an attack from Satan, do you think Satan will just leave you alone? Do you think you're above the rest? Do you think you've been saved so long that, you know what, attacks and circumstances and situations don't come my way? But when those things happen, the point of the matter is, am I in a relationship that still matters? So no matter what the fight, I am going to continue on. Paul said it like this. He says, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That's what he said. How many of us can say that our lives is really like that in every area of our life? In the book of Luke, chapter number 22, let's look at the text a little bit. And in the text, it begins to, uh, uh, Jesus is talking right here in this passage. Uh, they're getting ready for the Passover and all of these different things. It talks of Peter's betrayal and, and it's predicting uh, Peter's denial. But, you know, I love how Jesus addresses Peter right here. In verse number 31 of Luke chapter number 22, it says this. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. How many of you know that if some of you in this room, it doesn't matter how long you've been going to church, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, it doesn't matter what outreach you are part of, if you do not keep your hands to the plow, I am telling you, Satan desires to have you. Now, in this text, when Jesus is saying it this way, when he says Satan desires to have you, he is literally meaning the same thing that happened with Job. Satan is asking for permission. 
This is what Jesus is meaning when he's talking to Peter. And so he says, Satan have desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now notice this. Why is it important? Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. Why is that important to a person like you or me? Because the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? In fact, you know, more often than not, Grace gets a whole lot of shine in reference to faith. But the Bible actually says, for we are saved by grace through faith. So it is very important that my faith fail not. Jesus tells Peter right here, he begins to tell him, I pray for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And so one might say, well, what do you mean? How can Jesus actually even say this to Peter? This is Peter that, that followed Jesus for three years. This is the same Peter that was, that, that saw the dead rise, that, that, that saw Jesus heal all kind of people. He was there when Lazarus came forth. He was there uh, when Jesus would send them out two by two and he would come back and they would tell Jesus all of these things like the, the devils are subject to us in your name. This is the same Peter. But all of a sudden, Jesus tells Peter right here, he says, when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so when we look at this word converted, according to Webster's, this word converted means to change from one use, function, or purpose to another. However, we're not going to go with Webster's definition. We're going to go with the Greek definition of what the Bible is actually saying right here in Luke chapter 22. And the Bible in Luke 22, it is used metaphorically, spoken of a return to God and being converted in an absolute sense. Absolute. What I mean by this is when you examine yourself this morning to see whether or not you are in a relationship that matters, can you say that you are a person that has given your all to God and you have completely sold out? Right? And so when I say this, we're going to cover some points. You're going to see what I mean. It's okay to come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. We're supposed to come together. We're supposed to worship. This is supposed to be headquarters so we can come here, get built up, and go out there. Because how many of y'all know that this thing is about not in reach, but it's about outreach? Okay? It's about outreach. It's about what's going on out there in the highways and the byways. Not just the four walls. And so when we look at what this is talking about, and we're talking about from an absolute sense, it goes on in verse 33. It says, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt uh, three times deny me that you know me. And so looking at this, this, this be converted, let's look at some, some, some attributes, if you will, of a relationship that matters. Now, I'm not just talking about a relationship that matters in a general sense. I'm talking about a relationship that matters to you. 
Okay? Because we can all say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm married. I love my wife or I love my husband. And that relationship matters. Even in a natural sense, do you know what? You're going to be able to tell that that relationship matters to you. Okay? And so when we talk about Christ and our relationship to him, are you in a relationship with Christ that really matters to you? You see, right here in this text, Peter was saying something with his mouth that his actions was not finna follow. He was saying something with his mouth that his acts was not finna follow. And sometimes we'll say things and, and, and we'll mean well, but how many of you know or ever heard that saying that, the, that in, uh, good intentions is what paved the road to hell? Guess what? It has to be more than just good intentions. How many of you know that what we say and what we vow and what we give to God, it does matter? Some of us in this very room who are married and have been married for a number of years, one of the things we did when we talk about a relationship that mattered, we walked down here out front at the, at the front of a church with, with our husband or our wife, and we began to say some things to them. Back and forth, in sickness and health, in death to do to death do us part, all of these different things, in 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 sickness and in poor, whatever we said to them, we stood right there and we made some vows. How many of you know that the Bible is only painting a uh, a natural picture that we're supposed to understand spiritually? If you are in this room and you have professed to know Christ and you profess to be a believer, it doesn't matter whether you are a woman, boy, girl, child, right, elderly, it doesn't matter who you are. If you have accepted Christ, you are the bride. You are the bride. And so what I want to point out to you is in a relationship that matters, if all of us are the bride of Christ, how is it that we're supposed to be handling this marriage that we're in? Some of us, in the natural, when it came to our husband or our wife, there are certain things that we're not fixing to take. There are certain things that we're not fixing to let go. But, you know, sometimes uh, we casually, we just go year by year and day by day, and we think that Christ is supposed to just take everything that we dish out or that we can excuse things and that they're supposed to just go away. While I'm letting you know that as the bride of Christ, we are supposed to be doing our part in this marriage. One attribute of uh Having a relationship that matters by showing it is in a relationship that really matters. And and we're talking about uh, a relationship such as marriage, right? Some of us, before we got married, we courted for quite a while. We was engaged for quite a while. But how many of you know that according to the word of God, that relationship didn't become valid and stamped approved by God till it moved from that to being a marriage, Till it moved from that to being a marriage. And I know we live in a day where the truth is being funeralized and buried. And a lot of people would like to say, well, you know what? Relationships can be a whole lot of different things. Well, I'm here to tell you today, the devil is a lie. It's going to be exactly what God made it to be. And it's going to function the way that God says that it should function. One of the the greatest um, attributes in a relationship that matters, it is this. It is called faithfulness. Right? Would you agree? And now let's look at this in a natural sense. Because we know that we can use it in a spiritual sense. But if you are in a committed 
marriage to someone, you are going to have a problem if they are not faithful unto you, right or wrong. Right. And so, since we are in a marriage with Christ, should we not be being faithful in the marriage that we're in? What do I mean? The Bible says things like this. It says a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Am I cheating on Christ with the world? That's what it comes down to. Am I cheating on Christ with the world? You know, in John chapter number 14, we we hear this text a lot of times at funeral. In this text, it goes something like this. In my father's house, there's many mansions. If it was not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, right? Well, in, in the context of that passage, one of the things that's happening there is Jesus is speaking to people that know Canaanite culture. And so what a Canaanite would do is when he found his bride and they got married, he would not take his bride with him right away. He would leave for a whole year and he would go and prepare the best thing for her that he could prepare. And then at the end of that year, he would return to get her, to take her to what he had prepared. This is the thing. At the end of a year, when that Canaanite man came back to retrieve his wife, he did not want to find a woman that had been being not faithful the whole time he had been gone. But that's what some of us, sometimes we just casually do. And sometimes we make excuses for downfalls instead of just calling it what they are. There's a reason why the Bible tells all of us to examine ourselves. It doesn't matter whether you're in a pulpit up here or whether you're in the back door or whether you take out the trash. We are supposed to be coming more and more like the image of Christ each and every day. This thing is supposed to have growth. Okay? And so, notice this, in a relationship that matters to me, there is not any affairs in a faithful uh, marriage, right? Are you cheating on Christ? Or is there times, we talked earlier about preeminence and Christ having a preeminence. Is there times where there's other stuff that takes preeminence over the marriage that you're supposed to be in with Christ? Is there times where Christ is on the back burner, Right. And so when we move forward and we start adding attributes to it, another attribute that would go to this, this uh, being faithful in a marriage would be growth. Growth happens through sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice that thing that my flesh might like? That thing that I know that I really should stay away, that's a hindrance to my life. Right? Notice this. The Bible even says, it says, lay aside every sin and weight that easily besets you. Now, you know, some people say, well, preacher, what are you saying? You saying just be good? No, I'm simply saying do what the Bible says. See, something can be a weight in your life that's hindering you in your marriage and still not be a sin. It can. And so when we talk about growth and we're examining ourselves, I'm talking about each and every one of us. I want to tell you like this. No matter how long you have been saved, from the moment you got saved, have you seen yourself grow in this marriage? My wife is sitting right over there, and she goes with me everywhere I go. I go and preach at a lot of different places, and this is the one thing I can tell you that I love that woman more today than I did when I first started loving her because it is growth has happened. 
There's supposed to be a, a, a growing process. And so I'll give you an example like this. Pastor Rob, I'll use you, right? If you was my father, right, and, and I was born today, and he just bring me home from the hospital, and say for about uh, six months to eight months, he's feeding me Similac every day. He's nurturing me. My mom is nurturing me. And through this whole process, I just not get, I don't get no bigger. Right? You know what? In the natural, from the natural perspective, Pastor Rob would say, we got to get this boy to the doctor. There is something wrong. Why ain't he growing? Well, I say that's the same thing spiritually. Right? Some of us have been saved for years and we are not growing and we don't see a problem with it and we should. Because part of being in a relationship that matters, it is going to require growth. With growth, when we talk about sacrifices that has to be made, how many of y'all think the Lord for Jesus coming? No, I mean, I mean, I'm not just saying it just, just to say, well, Lord, we thank you. I mean, from all the way in your heart, for real, how many of you heart breaks for the thing that breaks God's heart? How many of you have a burden for people and show it through growth? When we look at this from a marriage perspective and we talk about sometime growth is going to take sacrifice, notice this. In this marriage, Jesus, in his part of the equation, he sacrificed it all. He sacrificed, sacrificed every bit of it. I like to, I like to equate it to like a, a old country style breakfast. You know, sometime in a country style breakfast, it's like, uh, us, the bride's part of the equation. It's like, we're like the chicken in the equation. And you know, in the country style breakfast, the chicken, he just lays the eggs. We get to eat, but he live on. See, Jesus wasn't like that. He was like the pig. When we get them bacons and eggs, that's cause the pig gave it all up. He didn't save nothing for himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what I'm saying is that thing that is, that is troubling you in your spirit. And, you know, it's easy to get in the root of saying, you know what? Well, look, I've made many strides. This ain't that bad. You know, I, I got, I, I mean, I don't go to the bars no more. And I don't drink. I don't smoke. All of these different things. But, you know, sometimes you turn your pocket inside out and you got that, that little lint ball in the corner. And you, you kind of just thump it away. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that it ain't okay. Jesus wants that too. He does. Right? And so, listen. When we talk about faithfulness and we talk about growth, Jesus sacrificed it all. Making the unrighteous, you and me, righteous, right? Taking the burden and the weight of all of our sins onto himself. A person that had knew no sin. Even the Bible says about you and me, it says, we haven't resisted sin unto bloodshed, but Jesus did. And it wasn't even his sin, it was ours. You mean it's too much for me to give some things up that this marriage that I'm in that strains it? There's some things in our natural marriage that we can do to strain the marriage, right? And so when we talk about faithfulness, we talk about growth, I guess the next thing it would be fair that we talk about is endurance. Uh, I was listening to the couple that came up here and they spoke from their missionary journey. And one of the things that they talked about was uh, just the difference there and, and, you know, all of these different things. And, and uh, the young lady, she spoke about, well, we're not experts. Our oldest child is only 13. 
And, and so notice this. There's going to be times where in this relationship, if it really matters to you, you're going to have to have endurance because every day ain't going to be sunshines, rainbows, cotton candy, and unicorns. You're going to have to have some endurance because when times and situations start to arise in my life, do I still hold on to Christ or do I run back to what I knew? Do I still hold on to Christ or do I run back to what this flesh say will fix it? And you know, a lot of times we'll have a problem, an issue, a circumstance, and we pray. We even have whole hands with others, and we pray and we say, well, Lord, I'm giving this to you. But the same time that we're saying that, we kind of hold on to the corner of it. And the reason we hold on to the corner of it is because we beat and lied and told ourselves, well, you know, if God is taking a little bit too long, I'm going to help him fix it. No, that's why God is God. He don't need your help. Okay? And so this is going to require endurance, right? This, 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 this world is not our home. We are just pilgrims passing through. If you believe that, say amen. We are just pilgrims passing through. And so I want to tell everybody here that find it hard to let something of this world go. Look, this world ain't supposed to like you. It's not. And Jesus says, since it hated me, it's going to also hate you. When you stand up for right and when you stand up for righteousness and you're willing to stand up and tell the truth, even if you're the only one there saying it, I am telling you that Christ is rooting you on. Because you are showing him, I am in a relationship that matters. Okay? I'm in a relationship that matters. And so you might say, after hearing all that, you might say like, uh, well, you know what? I'm not Peter. I ain't never denied Christ or none of those things. And uh, again, I'll tell you to examine yourself. And what I mean is from this standpoint. When Satan comes... One of the things the brother also said, and I was sitting there, I was like, well, amen, he right. Look, the brother said when he came up here, he said, Satan's not playing no new tricks. He's still playing the same five aces. There's only four in the deck. We still playing, playing like it's five aces in the deck, right? And so notice, notice what happens is when we say, well, I, I ain't denied Christ like Peter did. What do you ever ask yourself is... Are you a person where Christ never comes up around certain people? Right? You get around certain people and all of a sudden Christ never come up. It's like at that point, you're a secret agent Christian. You're doing undercover Christian work. I'm here to tell you there's no such thing, right? My point is I may not deny Jesus by saying, hey, I don't know him, but that is a form of it. Are you a person that, that you may compromise uh, with friends or family when it comes to an issue of sin? And you might just go along to get along instead of telling the person the truth because the truth is what will set you free. Matter of fact, the Bible says, and you shall know the truth. So what did the scripture just tell us? The scripture just told us that the truth is actually something that's knowable. Right? It says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Are you a person that compromise with family and friends when it comes to a matter of sin or something that's against God? Right? You don't have to outright deny Jesus by saying, hey, I don't know him. We can do it with our actions. When is the last time you talked to someone about him or invited somebody to this church with you? 
When is the last time that you talked to someone and you said, you know what, I want you to come and go to church with me Sunday and I'm, 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 I'm praying that you will hear a, a word from God that will change your life. When is the last time you did that? We don't have to outright deny Jesus. See, Satan just comes with these little subtleties that he slides in on you, right? And this is why Jesus said things like a little leaven, it leavens a whole lump. It only takes a little bit of something to turn a whole lot of something bad, okay? And so when we, when we look at this from that standpoint, uh, uh, have you invited somebody? To, or, or are you still sitting here examining yourself? Because as Peter said in the book of Peter, he says, I know you already established in the present truth, but I feel it's necessary that I stir us all up by way of reminder. This is a reminder this morning, right? Because Jesus said it like this. He says, anyone who has his hands to the plow and look back is not fit for the kingdom. Why does Jesus say this? Now, when we talk about what Jesus was talking about back in that day and age, they used to plow. They didn't have all this high-tech machinery that we have today. They had to hold a plow, and they had to cut straight rows themselves. But notice this. If they was to look back, what would happen to this straight row? It's going to be all jagged and all crooked. The problem with that is Jesus says, right, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many people go in that way. He says, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and there's few that find it. A person that is in a relationship with Christ that really matters to them, they're going to walk circumspectly, as the Bible says, trying to always cut the road straight. I never said you was going to be perfect. I didn't say you wouldn't have, uh, that you wouldn't fail, that you wouldn't have to get back up, dust yourself off. But what I'm saying is your heart would always be broke for the things that break God's heart. In the moment that I was out of line with him or his word, I would desire to get right back in his will. Jesus told Peter, he says, when you are converted, and he meant it in an absolute sense. When your heart, see, Jesus was able to look at Peter and know, well, you've been following me this long, right? You, oh, you, you'll cut the soldier's ear off. You walked on water when I called you, all of these different things. But he was able to look into the heart of Peter and tell that there is something that will knock you off balance and turn you a different direction. And when that happens, this relationship I have with you, Peter, won't be what matters to you. Do you understand what I mean? And so, if you will transition real quick, we're just going to read a text in John chapter number 13, and we're going to end. And I want to talk to you about this, does your heart break for the things that break God's heart, are you really in a relationship that matters to you, which are all, not just on Sunday, when we talk about faithfulness, right? I am pretty sure when I wake up in the morning and I leave home, it is just as important to my wife what I do away from her as it is what I do when I'm with her. And so, look, I can come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the matter is, is if I'm in this relationship that matters, what am I doing all the rest of the days when none of you guys get to see me or I get to see you? 
Because this is the thing. The same way that Jesus is able to see that there's something in Peter, he's able to see if there's something in us. And this is going to come down to a heart condition. The Bible says, Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. John chapter number 13, looking at verses number, um, starting at verses number 1, we're just going to read straight through it. It says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the, this world, unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God. He rotted up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter and said, Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I, I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet. And he said, My hands and my head, I mean, excuse me. It said, Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needed not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, ye are not all clean. Real briefly, we're not going to go through the text scripture by scripture, but I want to talk to you about this relationship that matters. This heart condition, if you will. In this text, we have two different people that's going to do something uh, uh, unspeakable to Jesus. One of them is going to betray him. The other one is going to deny him. All in the same room. Okay, and Jesus is washing their feet, and in the process of washing their feet, Jesus, he, he, he comes across Peter, and Peter says, Lord, you should never ever wash my feet. And Jesus says, listen, a person that has already taken a bath, so to speak, don't need to take a shower. This is what Jesus is saying in the simplest form. He tells Peter, he says, you are already clean, but one of you are not. In this same room, Jesus sees Peter, and he sees Judas, and he sees them in different light. He sees Peter as clean, and he sees Judas as unclean. Why is that? Because even though Peter was going to stumble and fall, need to be converted, all of these different things, he had a heart after God where Judas had already turned his heart against God. So when I say, hey, are you a person? Who heart breaks for the thing that breaks God's heart. Even though he tells Peter, he clean, he tells Peter, Peter, it is still necessary that I wash your feet. And what Jesus is trying to tell Peter here is even though I'm telling you that you're clean, but one of you are not, guess what? I still got to clean up your journey, Peter. I still got to clean up your walk. Because if you're going to be in this relationship, this relationship is going to take some things and it's going to have to look a certain kind of way, Peter. Jesus gave it all. He didn't just give part of himself. He gave it all to you and I. 
He hung his head and he died and he rose on the third day with all power in his hands and he did that for the sole purpose that you and I could rise to. For a brief moment, I want to talk to you about a period of my life. The reason I can talk to you about a relationship that matters is because the guy that you see today haven't always been this guy. I haven't always been the man that you see here today. All of us got a past and all of us come from somewhere. But notice this. Even when I was that man, if you would have told me, hey, are you a Christian? I'd have said, yeah, I'm a Christian because I was raised that way. But I'm here to tell you to everyone's faces, no, I was not. My heart was not in that. It was just something that I said. You're looking at a man that was sentenced to 74 years in prison. This man. This man was sentenced to 74 years in prison for the crime of armed robbery. I was never, ever supposed to get out of prison, ever. It wasn't something that I was facing. It is something that I had. I was already sentenced to it. And you guys heard a, a little a brief segment about Bob Chavez earlier when I was incarcerated, when I had first got in trouble, when I started going through the Oklahoma County Jail, going through the court system, I bumped in to you guys' as deacon, Bob Chavez. And I sit in a cubicle with him, and he told me about the love of Christ. And he told me, look, despite who you are and where you come from, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And there is a Jesus that died and hung and bled just for a person like you. And if you will accept him, then your life will change. I sit in that cubicle with Bob Chavez. And I spoke with him, and, and, and he, and he, and he uh, uh, ministered unto me the love of Christ. I'm not talking about a whole bunch of like and feeling sorry. Bob Chavez was a person that he shot straight arrows. He was straight down the pike. He wasn't going to sugarcoat it or none of those things. He was going to tell you the truth all the way whether you like it or not. I'm here to tell you that in that booth that day I got saved with Bob Chavez. And my life has never looked the same since. I put my hand to the plow and I have never looked back being on the battlefield for the Lord. I transitioned from the county jail and I went off to prison. Right? And I'm sitting in prison and, and here it go, uh, three years pass. Then I look up and six years pass. And then I look up and nine years pass. And, I, and I'm still there. And you know what? Regardless of the, of the fact, I was still a servant of the Most High because I had purposed in my heart that God, even if I never leave this place, I'm going to serve you the same because I love you that much. The circumstances didn't matter because I was in now a relationship that mattered to me. And it was real. It wasn't just something that I was saying. I was in prison and here it go. Uh, Thanksgiving's continuing to pass by and Christmas is, is continuing to pass by. And you're calling your family from the wall phone and you hear everybody at the get together and you're the only one not present. And so, yeah, of course, in this flesh, you begin to see God and you begin to talk God to God. And you say, God, I am walking according to your wills and your way now. If it be in your will to release me from this place, I know that man said I'm never supposed to leave here. But how many of y'all know that the devil is a liar? 
The Bible says that he was a liar from the beginning. I'm telling you that he's still lying today. And the more truth you know, the less likely you are to fall for the lie. I was sitting in my cell and I had got a a, a criminal procedure book from uh, another inmate that came to my yard from another prison. And he used to be a law clerk at the prison that he came from. I went in the cell and I said, hey, man, do you mind if I see that book? And, and he said, man, go ahead. I'm not using it. Uh, I didn't use it right away. I went. I put it in, in my cell on the floor in the same spot that he had it in his cell. And so somebody, an uh, act of violence happens on the, on, the, on the prison yard and somebody ends up dying and when they lock everybody down. And so I'm sitting in a cell one night, it's like one o'clock in the morning, and while I'm sitting in a cell, uh, something keeps just drawing my attention over to this book. How many of y'all know what that something was? And so, anyway, this book, I, I just can't take my focus off this book. It's like 1, one thirty in the morning. And so I'm sitting uh, in this chair, and I get up out the chair. I grab the book, and I begin to read it. And the young man that I'm in the cell with at the time, he's also in prison, and he has a life without parole. And so I begin to read this book. And as I'm reading this book, I looked over at my cellmate, and I told him, uh, by this time I was the pastor of the the, the uh, church that was at the prison. And so I looked over at my cellmate. He was the deacon for the service that I pastored. And I told him, I said, look, I'm reading what this, what this book uh, is telling me. And I said, look, I know that I've done wrong. I'm telling him this. I know that I've done wrong. I've never tried to hide that fact from God. I've been open and honest with God and open and honest with man. I wasn't one of those people that walked in the court and say that I didn't do it. Right. And so I, I told my cellmate, I said, I believe God is prompting me to look. I don't got money for a lawyer or none of those things. I said, I believe that God is guiding me and prompting me to do my own briefs to send to the courts. And so I'm reading in the book and I pass the book to him and he begins to read. He's passing the book back. And so, look, he see me having so much faith about this and it's not me. He, he says, well, hey, if you put something, if you write something, I'm going to write something in and, and send it in. And so anyway, I began to, to draft these, these briefs to send the court. And, and I began to talk about how I felt like, uh, you know, for the crime, it was too much time and, you know, all of these different things. And all of a sudden, God showed me a procedure that they had broke, a real procedure that they had broke which violated my due process and my constitutional right. And even though I'm reading this, I, look, I'm not a lawyer. Being able to read it and being able to write it is two different things. And so, look, I would go down to the law library and I would have all kind of notebook paper and I would have a note over here, a note over there, a note over here, a note over there. And I would lay my hand on the paper and I would pray to God and i say, God, you know I'm not no lawyer. You're going to have to help me with this. And every step of the way on the old school typewriter, pecking one key at a time, one key at a time, that brief got finished and I mailed it in to the courts. And when I mailed that brief into the courts, you know, you have all kind of jailhouse rumors. And these rumors tell you, well, if you mail something to the court and they have it a long time, that must be good. Just a jailhouse rumor. I mailed that brief off and it came back four months exactly to the day for what I had mailed it. 
And when I opened it in the mail, this lady came to the door. By this time, we was on another lockdown because somebody had got stabbed and died. And and she came to the door. She had a green records book. And she said, Mr. Hendricks, I need you to sign for some legal mail. And so I go and I sign for the legal mail, not even thinking it's from the court. And I look at the front of it and it says, Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals. And so by this time, my celly, he's about to jump up and down. He's saying, man, open it. I open up the letter, and when I open up the letter, it's signed by five judges. And it says, Mr. Hendricks, we agree with your argument. We're sending you back to the district court to be resentenced. And that's how I stand before you today. The exact same ministry that Bob Chavez, right, ministered to me through. The same ministry that you guys, that before you ever even knew who I was or knew me, you guys been raising socks. The same ministry that I met the Lord through, I am now the vice president of. And so as we stand all over the place, as we stand all over the place, if you will, as we stand all over the place, if I could get the musicians to come and help me, as we stand all over the place, I want to tell you today that we serve a God that can do anything. Not because I think, but I'm telling you I know. We serve a God that came down through 42 generations, the seed of Jesse and the root of David, just to save people like you and I.